So yeah, I'm wearing my Dodgers hat because I was in Los Angeles and we toured Dodger Stadium. I am a Toronto Blue Jays fan too, and it is sacrilegious to wear a different team's hat, especially downtown. And I, I have been heckled on that, but uh, but yeah. But you knew you were coming to Banff, so. Yeah, and, and no one here is is judging me based on the baseball cap I'm wearing. And you're wearing the New York Yankees, and I haven't judged you yet, so. But I live in New York, but so. That's fair. And on that note, we have Royce Fabric here as it's episode <laughs> two in a row here with Ian. So this is Studio 29. This is the podcast on the road talking about artist stories and sharing their ideas. And I am thrilled now to have a librettist and a playwright join me, which is very unique. So welcome, Royce, and to my, you know, set up on the go here. So thanks so much for joining me. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we are at the Opera in the 21st Century Program here in Banff having an amazing time creating, inspiring, and also mentoring too uh, to wonderful artists. Uh, and I'm also filmmaking and I've had the pleasure of working on uh, Royce's work. Royce, without further ado, tell us a little bit about yourself besides the New York Yankees baseball cap, which I will try not to look at, and uh, as a Blue Jays fan. It's also very yellow. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like the sun blaring in your face. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name is Royce Fabric. I'm a librettist. I, I've written a few plays, mostly back in my youth. So I, I don't, I tend not to, you know, say that I'm a playwright, well, but I am. To but a certain, Wikipedia to a great, calls you a playwright. Yeah, well, I've written books for musicals and things like that. So that, there's, there's playwriting there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but most of my career now is in the opera and a little bit of musical theater, but, but opera predominantly. Mm -hmm. um, I have not always lived in New York. I'm actually from up the road in Grand Prairie, you know, a few hours up the road. No um, way. Like okay, cool. Or so. so this is coming home for you in a sense. Yeah. Alberta is a, a very familiar landscape. Uh, and I don't know, we didn't come to Banff all that often uh, as kids. My family would drive us to Jasper, and we would do camping there. We had a very old camper. Um, oh, yeah. And it was, it was something. Uh, <laughs> but we would go to Jasper, and then a few times we would come to Banff. But Banff felt really glitzy and glamorous compared to Jasper, which is also very, very charming. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and there's a... There's oh. a and There's an elk. That's an elk, yeah. That is an elk walking right by the window here. You know, that... there's so much nature. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. A quick story there. I was chased by an elk recently coming back from the opera pub after I had maybe too many beer. And uh, I had four elks in front of me and six elks behind me. And I luckily had the security of the Banff Center scare them off with a paint gun. Otherwise, I would have been elk dinner. I don't think they would have eaten you. I don't know. <laughs> we don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. So um, Banff was uh, was always this like really beautiful place that we came um, not terribly regularly. Mm -hmm. And the Banff Center, there was this like mythology around all the amazing things that happened here. And I only started coming uh, like four years ago. I came for the first time in 2019 okay. um, with a dance team that oh. included Guillaume Cote. Guillaume Cote, oh my yeah, god, yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote the scenario and dialogue for his latest dance piece called Crypto. Really? Yeah, and so we just, uh, I think we're about to do it, uh, again, well, like about, uh, either as part of the Festival des Arts de Saint-Sauveur, mm -hmm. um, which is a festival that Guillaume runs. Uh, they're doing a one-night presentation in August, I believe, and wow. then it goes to Robert Lepage's theater. Oh, Quebec City yes. for a night, I believe. Fantastic. And then we finish a rather robust tour of the piece. But that was my first foray wow. into dance. 
Yeah. And since then, no, yes? No, and then we had this amazing dancer who was involved in that project early on uh, named Drew Jacoby, and she had a commission with the San Francisco Dance Works um, okay. that was converted into a digital project. And so during lockdown, I got to write these monologues that Rosamund Pike, the Oscar-nominated actress from Gone Girl. That's crazy. Um, that uh, she recorded in Prague. And I got to work with her in the studio. And wow. It was really, really, really cool. And then Drew did a like an eight-minute dance film based on these monologues that I, I wrote. And Mikhail Carlson, uh, who is a composer that I, I work with very regularly. Wow. Um, he, he sort of made a cool sound score um, based on these monologues. She wanted it to be very text-driven. So huh. it was really cool. Anyways, yeah. But so it's fantastic having uh, your work here. And so tell us a little bit about proving up because I've had the chance now to shoot videography with Taylor Long on, on proving up and it's such wonderful music and it's a fantastic story and we have to still film one more day of it tomorrow. And uh, we've we really kind of dived into the idea of telling the story in, in different ways in a visual context. I can't wait to, to create when I get back to Toronto to edit it. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So proving up is an opera that I wrote with Missy Mazzoli that premiered at Washington National Opera in 2008. Okay, I yeah. believe. Mm -hmm. um, and then it had a really cool consortium because uh, we did it with their Young Artist Program in, in WNO, at yep. WNO. And then we brought it to Omaha, um, at Opera Omaha, and we did it with a company of professional singers. Uh, and that production was directed by James Dara. Um, and it was really, really, really cool. Done in an art gallery with this super long runway with dirt. Like it just it was so <laughs> elemental and awesome. Um, and then we took that production to New York at the Miller Theater. Wow. Okay, and cool. so, yeah, it had this like three, three big presentations within the first year. Um, and then we've been so lucky. It's happened sort of all around. And like it's because it was imagined for a young artist program. It really suits schools. Yes. And yeah. younger singers. So um, we have, there was one production that I, I saw on Instagram that I, we, Missy um, and I did not go to, but it was on a gun range. Um, like wow. a site specific or a, not, I guess it's not site specific. It's about homesteaders in Nebraska yeah. <laughs> in the 19th <laughs> century, but it was, um, an, like an immersive or a site, uh, uh, an installation on this gun range. Um, and so it just, I think that it really inspires, uh, directors to, to do really cool things. And we had another production at Omaha. Uh, I, I said Omaha, I'm sorry. We had another production at Oberlin, Oberlin, very, Oberlin. Okay, yeah, yeah. uh, and Christopher Mirto directed that production. And he, um, he made these beautiful directorial decisions, like the pig. We had a, a real pig here yes, uh, in yes, Banff. Yes, did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> made a, a dazzling impression. Greta was fantastic, beautiful pig. But Chris uh, at Oberlin decided that pig would be a football. And oh. that was just like one of the most insanely cool ideas. So I just, <laughs> I love this opera and how it inspires directors to make really cool choices. Fantastic. Um, the live pig is is pretty much making my life. So <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, Joel uh, arranged for a pig to be part of this process. So we had a, a day of videotaping a pig, which for myself that was the first time I think I've ever shot video of a beautiful pig. Beautiful pig. It was a It came with a beautiful bow, you know. And and her name was Greta. That was the name of the pig. Uh, lots of personality. And uh, <laughs> we had Zach next to Greta there at the at the log area behind the music huts. And we, re we recreated uh, essentially Nebraska uh, area with Zach and Greta. And, you know, no one's the wiser. I was looking at the footage. And I'm like, wow, this looks really good. You'd, you'd think that we were somewhere off in the foothills of Nebraska 
completely in, in period and location. Oh my goodness. And you posted some awesome photographs. Oh, I thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Those are, are pretty unbelievable. So I can't wait to see what you do with this footage. My goodness. Oh, I can't wait to see either. It's uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to think of potentially, I don't want to give it away, but uh, it's a little bit the idea of the Coen brothers meets flight attendant on Crave. So something in the idea of that. So I won't give it too much away, but we're going to we're going to edit it in a very unique way. So I'm all about this. How can I ask you a question? Yes, absolutely. How long will it take you to edit all of these five excerpts that you have? Well, we have I'm not doing all of them cuz Taylor is doing I believe two of them and I'm doing three or he's doing three and I'm doing two one or the other. And so generally, when I start a project for editing, um, well, we we shoot and then we come back, we take a look at the footage, we go through what works and what doesn't. Then we often con contact the clients and say, you know, do you want to come by and do a Zoom call with us? Do you want to have coffee and come into our studio? Which, if you're in Toronto, you both are always welcome to come by. Oh, we'll be there. And uh, you can meet Eric. So Eric's my, my co-host on this wonderful podcast. And uh, we go over the footage, we take a look at it, we see what works, we, you know, put aside what doesn't work. And then we kind of start to build up based upon the score. And being a musician is actually a huge benefit when it comes to these pieces because I can go through a score and I can mark down scenes. I can say, okay, that works from eight seconds from this to this, from bar to bar. And, and that's kind of how you build it out. So I'd say for a piece of roughly, what, 11 minutes, nine minutes, somewhere in that, that neighborhood? Is that how long? The I think it's around eight. It's between eight to 11 minutes, I believe. Wow. I think okay. it is. I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. But generally for a piece that size, I'd say at least a good two or three weeks wow. before we have you know a final cut ready to go. Um, but we then obviously send off a cut to you and to the team so you guys can see it. And then uh, we get back your feedback and your notes and what we can change, we can change. What we can't, we can't. And then uh, we color grade it if it's shot in a certain way. We, we shot it all in Rec. 709. So what that basically means is it's colorized footage already because Taylor has a different camera system than I do. So we thought there's no point doing log footage in this case just in case the coloring looks different between the two cameras. So Rec. 709 gives a nice even consistency of a, of a color spectrum. However, you can turn down saturation and contrast and all that kind of jazz and actually put LUTs which are like a color grade on top of your footage. So there's a lot of push and pull we can still do. But uh, then we color grade and then we submit it and then we share it and then we shout it out to the hills in Nebraska. And uh, we put on all the social media accounts and we link it and uh, hopefully people watch it. And then we win all the awards. <laughs> all the awards. <laughs> That's kind of the plan. That's basically how every music video works. And some of these things, as we've seen with Messiah Complex, like they just take off. If it mm -hmm. goes to the right audience and people have a chance to relate to it or it gets to the right mediums, Instagram, obviously, but then, you know, YouTube, Vimeo, uh, Facebook has platforms that you can put it on. And if it gets past that, I mean, it kind of gets its own IMDb, you know, listing as a production, which in this case, I think it should because of the fact that, you know, not only is your work so fantastic, but we've had a dedicated team. This, this podcast is turning into about proving up in the filming process rather than Royce. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it should in this case because we've had Greta who should get credited. You know, Greta could get her first IMDb credit. I mean, that's that's really cool. I don't know if any pig has had an IMDb credit, so let's make that happen. And uh, yeah, and see where it goes.
this is super exciting. <laughs> we need to make Greta the biggest superstar. It's... I think so, yeah. Well, also, I went to film school. So I have a, an undergraduate degree from Concordia University in film production. That's fantastic. Um, I never was super great at all the nitty-gritty technical stuff. So I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> and I never went to film school. I'm an opera singer. So yeah. It's... This is amazing. Look at this. <laughs> Life, it leads you in the, the strangest, most wonderful directions and so you went to film school and now you're a librettist i went to opera school and now i'm a filmmaker it's interesting how i think the inspiration and self-taught and love of what you do takes over yeah absolutely who was your inspiration as a librettist and as a playwright who inspired you to move into that medium well i i do quite a few not a, not a ton but quite a few film adaptations yeah and so i would say that my my biggest narrative influence is lars von trier yes um he i I found him when I was 14 or 15. Um, I rented Breaking the Waves. And okay. I watched it on a small little television at a friend's house. <laughs> and it changed my life. I just could not believe that a perspective that was so provocative would exist in the world. Like, I, I grew up in Grand Prairie where we had mm -hmm. a, a movie theater that played the, the big blockbuster hits. And, uh, and so I had to find international and just sort of art cinema on my, my own. Yeah. And uh, it breaking the waves. I remember seeing a tiny little clip on the Golden Globes. Okay. Um, and it was a scene when Jan asked Best to take other lovers, and I was just like, "What?" <laughs> and, uh, and so when I saw it, I knew that I was going to be in dialogue with this film um, for my entire life. But I didn't know how important and integral it would be to my to my art making. Um, and so I had the opportunity with Missy to do an adaptation that premiered in Philadelphia in 2016 and that has just gone to have like really really cool productions we uh we had a, a scottish opera did a production at the international festival in edinburgh really okay um and that will go uh that went to adelaide in australia um we will take that to uh, a house in in france that will be announced um very soon um we did uh a new production in uh, the bay area and uh, we took it to uh, the Prototype Festival in New York. And oh, wow. It's, just, it's, okay. like, it's really having a life. Uh, Missy and I get to go to a castle in Sweden to see a new production of it this summer. Oh, my God. And, no oh, and then wow. we had a, a crazy new production um, in St. Gallen uh, during lockdown, which was like just so great. Last September, in the middle of, of madness uh, and Omicron, uh, we got to make a new production, which was like just, it was really, um, it felt healthy and, and nourishing and all those things. It was really, really awesome that we got to do that. Wow. So it's just having a life. And now I'm actually working on an adaptation of Melancholia that will premiere at the Royal Swedish Opera in September of next year. So my second Von Trier, but uh, I want to I wanna do a trilogy. I want to finish it off with a trilogy because Lars likes his his threes. Would you ever put it on film, These this trilogy oh, idea? Of course. I would love all of my my operas to be Films. And I would love them to be filmed as films and not just captured on stage. I think that that's mm -hmm. the next. Um, we're going to catch up to opera in that regard. And, and I think that we will. I think that Messiah Complex is a really beautiful example of how um, these pieces can be treated in a really, a truly cinematic way mm -hmm. and not just performance capture. Um, David T. Little's uh, Soldier Songs that was produced through Opera Philadelphia was another one that I thought was just a tremendous um, pandemic Achievement cinema. in, in, Achievement. in cinema, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Really, really. And they, they deserved that, that Grammy nomination. It was a, a really big and, and um, well-earned wow. accolade for them. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, no. And and so I guess, you know, you're also working here too, not only as a librettist and, and, and a consultant on these, these particular pieces, but you're also working as a mentor. So, and the idea of mentoring is so vitally important, I think, for young artists who are coming up, especially who have the love of, of writing and composing and being potentially a librettist. So what kind of like advice and tips if you could give that or even like mentorship, would you say to young aspiring people at home who might be listening to this podcast, wondering about taking the first steps as a librettist? Well, it's hard to be a librettist without a composer. So find somebody who's making music and see if they'll write a song with you or see if they will endeavor on a project. Um, But writing a libretto in a bubble is nearly impossible because you can't just give a collaborator something and say, make this happen. Yeah, um, yeah. It, everything that I do is in, in dialogue with my collaborators. So we come up with the story that we want to tell. And because it takes a long time to write an opera, um, sometimes it's three years, sometimes it's seven years. I believe it's not an opera, but A Strange Loop on Broadway, Michael Jackson's uh, musical, um, has taken 20 years from when he started to put pen to paper. Um, wow. So there's a, a story of, of something that did not happen overnight. Um, but it is a, a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, so yeah, I find a, make a community, find a community, um, and then look for programs, look for training programs like the American Lyric Theater Composer Librettist Development Program, which has now grown to include dramaturgs. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah. 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 And you get wonderful mentorship or the, um, the American Opera Project has their Composers in the Voice, um, which is a wonderful opportunity for young composers and librettists to, uh, to get to work with singers and to understand different voice voice types and, and vocal fox and um, and then just write just write and write and write and write. I had that uh, this piece of advice from a mentor when I was in high school, um, a woman named Kathy Harper, and she said that in order to be a writer, you just have to write and write and write and write and write, and I think that you just have to keep doing it. Um, the movie Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. Yes. I, I love that there's this creator who believes that as long as he has this massive magnum opus that when people finally see it, they're going to invest and his life will change. And then when he does his reading slash workshop, nothing happens. And people are like, oh, yeah, we're, we're interested in your next piece. And he seems it's like I, I, I my next piece. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? It's this piece here. Yeah. And, and yet you wake up and you write the next piece. Um Make as many mistakes on your first projects as humanly possible. That was a, a wonderful pearl of wisdom from Bill Finn um, when I was at NYU's musical theater writing program. It was like so many kids, so many students um, want their graduate thesis to be like a Tony Award winning musical. And it's Absolutely. just not yeah, course, going yeah. to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so choose a project that will allow you to make all the mistakes so that your second or third or tenth musical or opera that you write is that masterpiece um, and and tell stories that are vital and that feel really, really important to you because it does take so long and you are going to be investing in this piece every day for a thousand days maybe. So yeah, so yeah just make sure that you're not going to get bored of the project because um, you, you got to see it through. And if, and it also, if for some reason in the middle of it and you, you don't feel the urgency to write it, um, there's no shame in abandoning it and doing something that does feel... Um, Taking a step aside and kind of like recharging yeah, or refocusing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it, 
same thing with Ian. Like both you, both you, both you gentlemen, let's just say, have such a talent at writing both for the voice as well as the words for the voice. Mm. So, because listening to that improving up as well as in Phantasma, you know, as as a camera operator on both of these, you know, my eye, my, my eyes are glued to my monitor to make sure focus peaking is set. And blah 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 blah. But the other side of me, which is the singer, listens to what the singers are singing from the recording that we're lip syncing along to or whatever else. But it, there's never an awkwardness that I've, I've seen in some com compositions from composers or even from librettists. The words just flow, the music flows, and it makes sense. It feels like a, a unique breadth of a conversation you'd have with somebody. It doesn't feel artificial, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so after this is done, because uh, it's crazy to think we're done in a couple of days, where do you head next, Royce? What's what's on the horizon? Oh, I get to go up to Grand Prairie and hang out with uh, a niece and <laughs> yes, four nephews and, okay. and some family, my mom and my sister and my brother and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Uh, I'm up there for six days, and then I get to go home for a month. Uh, and uh, I have a couple workshops in New York, and then I go to Sweden for this yes, new that's right. production of Breaking the Waves. And then Missy and I hop over to Oslo where we start rehearsals for our world premiere at the National Opera or the Norwegian National Opera um, in Oslo. And it's uh, a new piece that uh, is, uh, the story was written by Jordan Tannehill and it's called The Listeners. Oh, okay. And so it has a, a Toronto connection. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited to follow your work as well as Ian's work because uh, being the first time working on both of your works as a filmmaker, I want to work on more. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, sign like, me up. I feel like we might need to uh, dash and have some beers and, and talk about that. Some creative ideas. Let's do that, gents. Thank you so much, Royce, for coming on oh and Ian God, also. And, and next time you're in Toronto, please come by. You can meet Eric and then we'll do a whole four-way podcast. So we can all... <gasps> talk back and forth not just with two microphones <laughs> love it love it thank you so much for having me thanks so much Royce.